Who likes to eat? I know I like to eat, and Americans eat a lot. 45 billion hamburgers a year on average Americans eat. 35 to 55 pounds of french fries. 2 billion pounds of chocolate Americans consume a year. We eat a lot in America, and then Jesus talks about fasting. That's right, fasting. Why in the world should we fast, and how does it please God? That's what we'll take up in this episode of The Bible in Life. Hey friends, welcome once again to the Bible in Life podcast. And specifically, I want to give a shout out this week to uh, my friends in Newcastle, Australia, who are celebrating uh, Quest Camp this week and enjoying that experience. Man, if I could teleport, I would love to uh, join you for that. But it's a long ways there. And so I hope all is well with you. May God's blessing be with you and on Quest Camp uh, here at the fall for us, spring for you guys down there. You know, I've been working super hard of late uh, on editing another course in my core training for Christians online courses. This course is Core Beliefs. I'm really excited about that course. I just think it's so important for us to begin looking at our life and this world through the same set of glasses that Jesus looked at life and the world through, to really have the same worldview as Jesus. And that's the heartbeat behind that Core Beliefs class. So I've been editing that and putting that together and hoping we'll have that up on the website before too long and and all that. And if you want to be on the inside track and, and uh, stay in the loop on when I release new courses or special discounts and opportunities, uh, man, I'd love it for you to just subscribe to my website. I try to send out an email almost every uh, week to my subscribers just to let them know what's going on with me or projects I'm working on or sometimes even to offer some additional uh, Bible teaching uh, that way. And so uh, just go to my website and down at the bottom of the landing page, you can say stay in the loop or you can get a free Bible reading plan or even a free little mini course on how to read your Bible and pray consistently. And so sign up there and that'll automatically put you on my website so you can stay in the, the loop for updates and courses and you'll know when some of these things are available. If you're a pastor or in some position in a church as a church leader, uh, just know that as I put these courses together, one of my hearts behind it is to serve the church and to provide some resources for uh, making disciples and helping people grow as disciples. It's just increasingly difficult to get people to come to trainings or classes and adult education in churches, at least in America. It's really becoming a, a thing of the past as people's schedules are so crazy and busy. And, and we're used to really having on-demand online resources. So trying to speak into that need with some of these courses. So if you're in church leadership or you're a pastor, you might just think about how could you use those courses in your church to help uh, mature and grow disciples and help people grow to a greater understanding of their faith. That's one of the goals of those courses. And I'm actually going to be putting together some monthly subscriptions for for churches on that. And so it would just be worth you staying in the loop and kind of being in the know with what's going on. So sign up on my website, subscribe right there so you can get email updates and just kind of know uh, What's going on as I release new things? All right, with that, let's jump back into uh, Matthew chapter 6. We've been working through this first uh, barrier to surpassing righteousness that Jesus addresses here in Matthew 6. We've, we've noted that really Matthew 6 begins the second major chunk in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is dealing with 
barriers to surpassing righteousness, and the first barrier he addresses is keeping up religious appearances, trying to have a good religious reputation, doing your religious and spiritual deeds to note to be noticed by people, so they'll think that you're really spiritual and really religious, and if you do that, your spirituality and your righteousness really is only skin deep. And so Jesus is addressing that. He's talked about some examples of that that were pertinent in his culture and really are still pertinent today. Giving, giving to be honored by people for being generous and spiritual. Uh, Praying that we could pray in ways that don't please God, that aren't really about real relationship with God. We talked about that in last week's episode. And this week, uh, we're skipping over the, the... uh, Lord's Prayer, we'll come back to that in next week's episode. Wanted to skip over that, get the final example that Jesus gives here of uh, keeping up religious appearances. And the final example he gives is fasting. Fasting. Now, that may not necessarily be as pertinent of an example to us is because we don't fast consistently and regularly in uh, the American church today. That's somewhat ironic uh, that we don't because fasting was really a practice throughout church history, really up until modern times. And, and, and so we really should take a look at fasting and why we fast and what fasting is and how it has spiritual benefit for us. But in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, um, particularly among the real conservative Jews, fasting was a big deal. And even though the Old Testament scriptures that shaped the Jewish religion of Jesus' day uh, didn't command fasting except on the Day of Atonement, one day out of the year, um, there are examples of people who fasted all throughout Old Testament history. And so by Jesus' day, the really righteous people um, took fasting as a mark of genuine righteousness and real spirituality. So it's a pertinent example in Jesus' day that... um, that fasting, you know, could make you out to be a really righteous person. And so Jesus has some thoughts on that when he talks about uh, doing your righteous deeds to be noticed by people. And so he says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, he says, and whenever you fast, again, it's interesting to me that he says that because he assumes that his followers are going to fast, which is probably indicative of the fact that we ought to think about fasting and we probably ought to practice it a little more wisely and regularly. More on that in a second. So whenever you fast, don't put on a gloomy face, he says, like the hypocrites do. And we've already noted that the hypocrites are those who are pretending to be something they're not. So don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be noticed, to be seen as fasting by people. And this is the whole concern in this section. Doing your righteous deeds to be noticed by people. Well, in this case, they're fasting and they they put on a gloomy face. Oh man, they look kind of down in the dumps. Oh man, today's a tough day. Hopefully so that people will notice them. And they can say, oh, yeah, I'm fasting today. And then everyone knows, wow, they're fasting. They're so spiritual. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Once again, they've gotten exactly what they wanted. There's no real religious, righteous, spiritual benefit to their fasting. 
There is no real relational benefit with their Heavenly Father to their fasting. Why? Because they don't really care about that. What they're really interested in is being noticed by people as righteous because they are fasting. And so what reward do they get? They get noticed by people because that's what they want. And that's the only reward they're going to get, Jesus says. Um, So he then says, don't fast that way. And then he turns and says, here's how you should fast. And this is a good place for us just to pause and think about fasting. Um, why, Why should you fast? How should you fast? Um, maybe you've never fasted. Maybe you've your church has encouraged you to fast, but they never really gave you clear instructions on fasting. We, we really should think about it. Um, we see in the book of Acts that, um, for example, Acts 13, that while the leadership of the church was fasting and praying, it sounds like it was sort of regular. We know from early Christian writings, such as uh, the early teaching immediately after the time of the apostles called the Didache, that uh, at least the groups of Christians that that writing was written to, they, they encouraged and had a habit of fasting twice a week on Wednesday and on Friday. We know, for example, that the reformers, John Wesley, John Calvin, Martin Luther, they practiced fasting. In fact, John Wesley even made a regular fasting a candidate uh, or necessary for ordination into the ministry. Um, so fasting has been regularly practiced by followers of Jesus throughout history. And, and it's something that we, we ought to think about the why of fasting. And uh, maybe even think about why it's neglected. Um, I was asking that question one time to a group of students of mine. Why do you think fasting is neglected in America? And I had a student in the group who happened to be from Great Britain. And he just said, look, food's everywhere in America and it's so easy to get. And as far as he could tell, that's one of the major reasons fasting was neglected. Because we love food. We have so much access to food. Um it's, we have restaurants everywhere. We give away free food at times. The, the food is just really a central part of American culture, and it's easy to access, and it's everywhere you go. And that could be. And that actually indicates one of the reasons why perhaps we need to fast is that we want to make sure we keep food in its proper place. It's a good thing that could become a bad thing if uh, we overindulge. In fact, gluttony in the early church, gluttony was described as one of the seven deadly sins. Why? Well, because um, it's that overindulgence of uh, on food. Even though it's a good thing, it could become a bad thing if we practice gluttony. And so, I don't know uh, what you think about fasting, but I do think we as followers of Jesus ought to think more wisely and Uh, deeply about fasting, and we probably ought to practice it a little more consistently and regularly. And Jesus sort of assumes that. So in verse 17, he says this, but you, you my followers, when you fast, again, just assumes we're going to fast. He says, anoint your head and wash your face. So in contrast to the hypocrites who put on a gloomy appearance so that everyone will notice their fasting, Jesus says, You just get ready like you normally would in the morning. You shower, you shave, you do your hair, you look normal. You don't make it obvious that you're fasting. 
Um, so you anoint your head, you wash your face, you shower, you shave, you look normal so that you may not be seen as fasting by people. So that may not be obvious, so that people may not notice. You're not doing it to be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in secret. And then your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And this has been a theme all throughout this section is that really the primary audience for whom you're doing these things is God. You give alms for the audience of God. You pray to connect with God. You fast for God's sake, not to be noticed by people. That we we do our spiritual deeds in secret. We do them for the audience of one. It's really about God and God's opinion and God's pleasure and God's honor and God's own work in our life, not about what people think. And so when you fast, just be normal. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't put on a gloomy face so that everyone will say, man, what's wrong with you today? And you say, oh, I'm fasting with the hope that everyone will think, wow, man, look how spiritual you are. Now, it does raise that question, same question we asked about prayer in our last one. Well, what happens if somebody knows you're fasting or finds out you're fasting? Does that ruin it? Have you done something wrong? And once again, no. We see all throughout the scriptures, community fast. Uh, In that Acts 13 passage that I mentioned a, a moment ago, you have the leaders of the church fasting and praying together, that they're doing it together, which means they know each other's fasting. It's not if somebody happens to find out you're fasting or if you do it with others so that they know you're fasting. The, the, the problem comes when you're doing it to be noticed. Again, your heart set and your motive and, and what you want out of the fast. You're doing it to be noticed by people. So you do it to be noticed by God. You do it to connect with God. You do it to seek God. So you go about your your day normally. You shower, you shave, you don't draw any particular attention to it. Uh, at at meal times, right? If you're on the job, you you go out to your car, you go to maybe a quiet place outside or somewhere where you can get away from people and you just spend that half an hour of your lunch break uh, praying and, and maybe even reading through a psalm and talking to God. But you just get away from people so they don't know and you don't draw any particular attention to the fact that you're fasting. And if they happen to find out, they find out. But the primary thing is you do this to be seen by God, to be noticed by God. When we fast to be noticed by people, well, then fasting becomes part of the problem rather than part of the cure. It's part of the disease rather than part of the cure. Fasting, when we do it to be noticed by people and have people think we're religious, all of a sudden stirs up religious pride, uh, stirs up self-serving and self-centeredness. It stirs up our flesh rather than actually quenching our flesh, putting down our flesh, subduing our flesh, and drawing our attention to God. The primary reason we should fast is is so that we can seek God. In a nutshell, fasting is giving up something good for the sake of something better. We give up something good, food, a good gift of God that we receive with gratitude, uh, with which there's nothing wrong. We give up something good to seek something better, God himself. And so it's, it's this way of of saying, God, you're, you're the most important thing. You're true food for the soul. My life depends on you, and apart from you, I have nothing. And so, so we give up food, a good thing, for the sake of seeking someone better, something better, God himself. And in that sense, then, fasting, real fasting, becomes feasting, feasting on God. 
some real practical tips for you as you think about fasting, just briefly. Um, Obviously, you need to make sure medically you can do that. That's sort of an assumed thing. But as far as other tips, I would say, um, you know, maybe think in terms, if you're going to practice fasting regularly, maybe think in terms of a 24-hour, two-meal fast. That's my favorite way of doing sort of a regular fast. Eat dinner and then skip breakfast and lunch and then break your fast with the family at dinner again. And so it's a 24-hour, two-meal fast where... um, we we uh, connect with God and we fast for 24 hours, but we skip two meals. Works really well. Uh, another little tip is this. While fasting and all of a sudden you feel pangs of hunger, use those pangs of hunger as props for prayer. God, help me to hunger for you like I'm hungering for food right now. And a simple little prayer like that as a way of seeking God. Uh, Another little suggestion is, uh, as a prompt of prayer, you can pray for maybe a specific thing that you're concerned about or focused about. And so if you're fasting for a specific purpose other than generally seeking God, then those hunger pangs become a a prompt for you to pray for that specific thing. And so as we fast, the, the actual feeling of hunger becomes a reminder to seek God and to pray and to ask God for help. Um. And again, this is a spiritual discipline where we're simply offering ourselves to God, seeking God's aid um, so that we, we can actually care more about God and his things than the things of this world. And so we fast and we offer ourselves to God. And when we do that, when we fast that way, fasting becomes a means to a greater end. The greater end is denying ourselves and seeking God. Fasting is one, it's not the only one, but it's one means of actually taking up our cross and denying ourselves. In a very small sense, we're training ourselves for greater acts of self-denial. Uh, and in this way, fasting actually teaches us self-control. Uh, it, it assaults our self-indulgence and our love of comfort and, and forces us to say, you know what, it's more important to seek God than even to be comfortable. And so we We hunger for God. We feast on God. We seek God through fasting. All right, now, let's just back up for a second and wrap up this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount and remember what Jesus has said is, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. And then he's given the example of almsgiving. He's given the example of praying. And he's given the example of fasting. But those aren't the only ways we can do it. Um, our, our righteous deeds could be um, singing and leading worship or singing songs on stage. For a preacher, your righteous deed could be the way you preach and you're doing it to be noticed by people, right? There's um, Your religious deed could be serving the way you serve at church because your church says, oh, really spiritual people do that. Well, it could be a right. So there's a lot of ways. The main thing we want to make sure we take away from this section is what Jesus said in one: beware. Be on guard against. Remember, this is a real temptation. Jesus is wise and insightful, and he knows this this temptation that we have to want to be noticed by people. And there's nothing wrong to be affirmed by people. There's nothing wrong to be honored by people. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, honor those to whom honor is due. It's appropriate. And yet, when we're seeking that honor, when we're wanting that honor, when we're 
when we're seeking the applause of men, it becomes a barrier to surpassing righteousness. So the main takeaway we want to take away from this is be on guard. Be aware of that temptation in yourself and constantly check yourself. Are you doing your righteous deeds to be noticed by people? Are you doing them in secret? Are you doing them primarily to be noticed by God for the audience of one, for God's honor, for God's pleasure, uh, as a means of seeking Him? And when we do them that way, then they become really a, a expression of our worship, and they change our heart to be incredibly Godward, so that we're really interested in God and God's things, and that changes our hearts so that we become people of surpassing righteousness. All right. Once again, God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And uh, just as a friendly reminder, um, if you're interested in staying in the loop with me and my ministry and some of the other resources I'm, I'm, I'm putting out, uh, get onto my website and just sign up for uh, to stay in the loop. And uh, I'll put you on my email list and you'll, you'll get regular updates from me. So God bless you guys. Thanks again for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you next time on The Bible in Life.